Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Pat Williams from the AHL.com. Coming to you live from the midst of the conference finals, approaching games four and three of the Eastern and Western Conference. But before all that, Patrick, how are you? And how much sleep have you been getting compared to the regular season? Uh, it's it's interesting because it's like such a different schedule it's right like now. Binge. Like It's like a binge for you almost. Yeah, well, I'm used to like every, every Friday between October and April, even into May, like I'm booked. Right. And yet like this past Friday night, there were no games and then, uh, yesterday, which was Monday, there were two games. So my whole routine, I, I don't kind of know what day it is at this point. You know, like it's, I'm all thrown off. Uh, my routines are completely blown apart. Uh, but um, yeah, here we are, uh, conference uh, final, and uh, we're getting down now, almost even to the cup final. You can you can definitely see it in the horizon. Were you in Rochester for those games? No, I wasn't. No, um, I wasn't. I was going, and then I they pulled out last second. Uh, but uh, it was a uh, impressive performance by the Hershey Bears going on the road. No question. Well, before we get to that, it looked like an astonishing crowd uh, yes. in Rochester. Um, reminiscent a bit of, you know, Laval last year had a, a crazy crowd at, at Place Bell. And Rochester did not disappoint. Really crazy um, environment. Are you surprised at all? Or is that just kind of commonplace this time of year in Rochester? Well, it's not commonplace because this playing this late hasn't been commonplace. This is their first time in 19 years they've gone this far. And, you know, like just a little bit of background, like for years, Rochester was one of the premier franchises in the league. I mean, especially when the league was a lot smaller. Um, it was one of the bigger markets. It was, you know, it was a market that, you know, in the nineties and two thousands, I mean, they went to the cup final on a semi-regular basis. Uh, they were developing tons of players like Ryan Miller came through there. Just one example, Jason Palmanville. Uh, so the, back then they were put in big crowds. They went through a long period. Um, they were with Florida for a while and then they went back to Buffalo and that, you know, we all know what the Buffalo Sabres have been like for the last 10 years. And that certainly trickled down to Rochester. So a little bit of that, that old, old time feeling is back, I think for the franchise and, and just in general, like I've, something I've noticed in the last number of years that uh, it wasn't always a guarantee this late in the playoffs that you would get crowds because, you know, at this level, you're, you rely a lot on group sales, you rely on, you know, advanced sales, that sort of thing. And now, you know, playoff hockey late in the season, you know, it's a lot of families, a lot of, you know, you know, people like that. Well, like they're busy this time of year. So it's not always easy to get people to come out to the rink. But uh, I think to the credit of all the teams that are back, uh, they're still playing. They've been able to really put in good crowds, and I think especially in Rochester. I don't at all want to diminish the the very clear fact that those were those were you know Americans fans. They had a lot of I saw a lot of jerseys. It wasn't just kind of people checking it out. It was a very intense fan base. But I wonder mm-hmm. too with Yuri Kulik and Matt Savoie making his debut, if that kind of also perpetuated that sort of crowd. Do you think there's part of that? Oh it? sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, like Rochester and Buffalo they have four are four first round picks right now. 
Yes, they're only an hour or so apart, you know, right down the throughway there. So there's a ton of overlap uh, in the fan bases. You know, that that's, I think, a real key to that, that, that the success of that franchise, too, is like a lot like Boston Providence, teams like that, like where you, those fans are invested in both teams. And so I think having a team that's first and foremost is winning because that's what fans come to see is winning. But a team that's winning with, you know, what's going to be the future of the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, Yuri Kulik is a huge part of the Sabres. Zach Rosine, huge part of the Sabres. Uh, so on and so forth. I mean, Matt Savoy didn't play a game. It was the game four, but uh, obviously somebody that attracts a ton of attention, so on and so forth. I mean, so this is a team, right, like where, you know, this matters, right? And they, they already saw what happened with Jack Quinn last year. Mm-hmm. Rookie of the year, went up to Buffalo. J.J. Paterka, same thing. Like, those guys have gone on to other things. There's been you know, some, some flow now of, of this new crop in the last couple of years under the Seth Abbott regime going up to Buffalo and actually sticking in the lineup and, and becoming a regular with the Sabres. So there's that connection now that's really been built. So right now, Hershey's up 3-1 to one in the conference finals. Uh, one went away from punching their ticket to the Calder Cup. Let's kind of get into the nitty-gritty of this series. So let's shift our focus to Hershey for a second. We'll get back to Rochester. So, as we talked about, I think it was last episode, I think everyone was just pretty much caught off guard with the way Rochester won game one um, and just the fashion in which it happened. And, you know, you said how imposing the style of game was really important off the onset, and Rochester got a good start. But after dropping game one, Hershey's won three straight. Over the last three games, their special teams have been excellent. Two for eight on the power play, six for six on the penalty kill, and then their goaltending with Hunter Shepard recording a 949 save percentage that span. It's kind of, you know, on every team-level stat, they're, they're clicking all the boxes. But from your vantage point, Pat, what's causing the drastic shift we've seen, even from game one to two, right? Three straights big, but just it seems like a completely different team in that second game. Yeah, so along those lines that we talk about styles, I mean, these are two markedly different teams. Like, you know, the sort of the nitty-gritty of it is Rochester's fast, transition-based, off-the-rush, D are active. Uh, Hershey's are more traditional, heavy, get in on the forecheck, grind it, you know, work, work, you know, down low for goals. So that, that's sort of the, that's the foundation right there. Rochester was able to impose their style early, but they weren't able to impose it thoroughly. And I think mm-hmm. that's the difference. Um, a lot of that obviously goes um, to the credit of head coach Todd Nelson. Now he had preached coming into that game one, like, be ready. This is a team that loves to play off the rush, mm. loves to just turn up ice, right? And uh, for one reason or another, his players didn't seem to heed that. Uh, either they, either they, they, they listened and just couldn't execute, or a little bit of both. I think uh, they got sucked into that that game a little bit, where you, you try to start trading chances with Rochester. It's not going to work out well for you. We saw that with the Marlies; like they thought they could run and gun with with Rochester, and we saw how that. That went. That did not go well for the Marlies. So once that message sunk in, and, and they took a pretty pretty rough five one loss in, in game one, Henry Henry Shepard was pulled. Um, they came back and they got back to Hershey Bears hockey. You know, imposing, um, finishing all their hits, finishing all their checks, um, getting in hard on the forecheck, getting above the puck, really taking away that speed, especially in the neutral zone. And Rochester is. To this point forward, you know, three games in now since that happened, they have not had a solution 
Um, just, it's hard, right? Like you can't teach size. I mean, Hershey for, for, for a team that has size to that degree, they move pretty well. Um, they just don't move as well as the Amherst do. But if you combine that size with some of that speed, you know, it's a pretty tough, it's a pretty tough uh, team to beat as we're seeing. I mean, they they went right through Charlotte. They went through Hartford with no problem. And now they're, they're handling what had been a really hot Rochester team. So um, I think sometimes Hershey's biggest enemy is themselves, right? Like they, when they heed Todd Nelson, they do well. When they go off that page a little bit, that's when they get into trouble. So I think they learned the hard way, you know, like, you keep touching the stove enough times and getting burned. Eventually you learn not to touch the stove and that's what's happened with them. Now they're really sticking to that plan. They're, you know, they're seeing that success. And I think that's been the biggest factor uh, these past three games. I want to talk to you about Ethan Frank. I'm a little, mm-hmm. you know, it's an interesting situation. He scored 49 points in 57 games, uh, earned an ELC during the year. And then in the playoffs, he's got two points in nine playoff games was a healthy scratch in game three. I got to know, what's the 4 on one on his current playoff trail? Like, what have you seen that's kind of led to him struggling? Well, playoffs and – I mean, the, the short suite of it is playoffs are, are a huge jump from the uh, from the regular season, right? Sure. And just – he's not a, a particularly big player, so he doesn't really play that, that size game, and, and he's been getting pushed around a little bit. Uh, now, I think you have to – you have well, to We're talking – Pat, we're talking about a premier – this year, at least in the regular sure. he was one of the best players in the league, frankly. But but you're taking a Mike like like Mike Scarbosa's been out of the lineup for you know a good sure. chunk of the playoffs now. So like that's a that's a huge weapon. Uh he's kind of the he's the guy that kind of makes a whole Hershey offense go. He's not been in for, for, for a while now. So like, you know, that just diverts a lot more attention toward Ethan Frank. And so that's one factor. I think the second factor is just he hasn't done it before. Right, like he hasn't played at this level. Like this is the fastest, the hardest, most physical hockey he's ever played, and um, so far he hasn't adapted. Now I will say, Game Four in Rochester yesterday, he helped set up uh, one of their goals. Uh, you know, nice rush down the boards, um, you know, put a shot on net, um, kind of generated like a down low cycle, and uh, popped it in. And Hershey was on their way. So, like I do think he. he He's coming out of it a little bit. He was, uh, you know, players picked him as their player of the game after after that win. So, uh, to some extent, I think these are just normal growing pains. Um, now, I think, let's say if he gets into a series against Coachella Valley, uh, looking a little bit ahead, but still, like, that would be more of his style of series. Right? I completely like, agree. So, he's still, he's still very much an important part of that lineup. Um you know, and sometimes a player just maybe you sit for for a game and you sort of see the game from a different vantage point. You see a different perspective. Uh, it's not meant as a punishment or anything like that. It's just more of a well. It's uh, just a matter of the reality, right? If you're not yeah. the best twelve forwards that you have yeah. at the moment, you're not playing, right? And then you know, it wasn't like he was out the entire series. We'll get to we had a Coachella Valley. There's been some players there that have been scratched, and it's actually benefited them a great deal so sure it's, it's commonplace in this league I, i'm not looking too into it i more so was just kind of curious like you know with a player like i just given his speed okay so just given the way that he plays off a cycle in addition i thought going to the playoffs he would have a monstrous kind of series so that's maybe where my surprise comes from to be honest yeah well uh, and i think one thing too is 
you know, the playoff schedule for the Hershey's been really stop and start, right? Like, yeah, you haven't like you haven't been able to get that flow like you do in the regular season. Like regular season, every you know, every Friday, every Saturday, you can count on a game. You know, usually in one board during the week. You know, so best you know, or three and three weekend or uh, uh, you know Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Like this has been, you know, they played what four games against Charlotte. Three, they played seven games coming into this conference final. Like, totally, that's the first round in the NHL. Right. And so, you know, I think a player like him thrives on that, that, that repetition and, 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 and getting into that, that, you know, that flow of things, right. Like, cause he's, he's an intuition based player. He's a player that is based on kind of being out there and feeling the puck, feeling, you know, feeling the, the competition around him. He's not getting that on a regular basis. So, and the other, the other big difference is, you know, I think this is something people need to understand at this level, regular seasons, certainly about development. Um, but come playoff time, winning is what matters, right? Because winning is going to get your team. For some teams. Well, you know, well, yeah, if you want to look at their you opponent. Go home. But if you want to be, you know, well, my answer to that would be how much are you developing if you go home in the first round? Well, that's like, I'm so glad you said that, Pat, because the next thing I wanted to bring up was looking at Rochester. Is it fair to say they're not even built or operating like a team that wants to win the Calder Cup? Because – and sorry, maybe that sounds harsher than I meant it to be. I more so meant the mandate there with Rochester is development, development, development. Savoy comes in, they put him in. They're they put they have four first round picks with them. They use it as a measuring stick for their guys, even at the the sacrifice of of you know maybe not having the best guys out there. And again, Hershey's still, in my opinion, when you stack the two teams up, the better team. But is Rochester even really position themselves in this to, to win it? Like it seems a lot different the way even Milwaukee or any of the teams really are, are gearing up. They seem to be a bit different. Well, uh, I think that's a fair point. I mean, I guess it depends how you want to slice it. Like if you, I think you can make the argument that Savoy was a good option, right? Like, yeah, sure. And they, they didn't put him in right away. They, they waited till they got up one zero in the series. So I think they felt like they had a little bit of uh, wiggle room there. And I think once it became apparent after two games that like, hey, this is a little much, you know, this is a little bit big for him at the moment. They did pull him out of the lineup uh, and put in Philip Searquist and, you know, kind of went back to to, more of a proven player. And so I I think they're, I I would say with them, they're more willing to experiment is probably the difference. Um, They're more willing to take a chance. Uh, And that's just really comes down to what Buffalo's about. Like, they're in that stage now where they're still trying to, they're still, they're still building, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Washington is kind of a, its own thing. Seattle is, you know, new to the game. Um, and Nashville's kind of in a similar boat as Washington to some extent. So, uh, but Buffalo is a full on hardcore rebuild, build with the youth. You know, yeah. It's all about the, the young players. So I think that's a little bit different. Like fair. It, it's a, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, there is a little bit of a, in the end, it, you know, for all the talk of analysis and this and that, in the end, it is a bit of a guessing game when you, Absolutely. When you make a lot of change. Like you make your best guess, you make your best educated guess, but in the end, you know, you, it's like anything, right? Like you put it out there and you, you hope for the best and you hope that you made the right choice, but sometimes it just doesn't pan out. Let's shift over to our prospect of the week, Joachim Kemmel. 
Recorded eight points in 11 playoff games, 19 years old, 17th overall pick last year by Nashville. He leads the AHL with three game-winning goals in these playoffs. Uh, he was ranked 24th in the Hockey News' Future Watch issue this year. It's just every game he's getting better and better and looking more impressive. He came over after spending the year in Liga. Carl Taylor, you know, Milwaukee's head coach, gave him opportunity, but it wasn't spoon-fed to him, right? And he yep. earned it, came through. He's become a top-tier player for them. And here's interesting, because the day we're recording this, they just announced that Andrew Burnett is going to be the new head coach of the National Predators. And my instant thought is, okay, that is that is the best type of thing for that guy's stock. Because if, if listeners remember, the way Florida was under Brunette, that run-and-gun style, that fits Kimmel's game more than any other stylistic you know, tactic you want to do. And I think if you have a coach that with him is, will allow him to play freely, because Kimmel's not a guy that you know will take a long time to, to earn coaches' trust. He competes, he plays hard, and he has a well-rounded game. I think he could be a very, very important player piece for Nashville sooner rather than later a lot sooner than I maybe would have thought even you know when he had 13 points in 14 regular season games to end the year it was good but it was kind of like it's cute right it's like all right that, that's cool um but that's that's interesting but to be doing what he's doing in the playoffs now it's certainly opening some eyes yeah um you have to think that <laughs> I don't know if Joachim Kimmel's kind of aware of what Andrew Brunette was about, but uh, if he is or his agent is, uh, certainly I think today was good news, right? Like For sure. Like you, said, like you have to be pretty happy getting that news. And, and like we've talked about this European trained players. It's a huge advantage, I think, right? Like they're, you know, he's already got two seasons uh, in Finland in the Liga um, playing, you know, quality minutes, being a part of uh, – part of a you know, team in, in a excellent league comes over now that he's in the AHL like and, and that opportunity spoke of uh with Carl Taylor it really was uh fortunate timing for him like when he came totally. in March that was exactly when those seven players were all up in Nashville right so right. I mean they were they were looking for for bodies right like they made mm-hmm. three trades just to bring in players from elsewhere just to start to fill out their lineup a little bit and so he got he got in right away, and I think that was really to his advantage. So he was able to get a little bit of a rhythm going, a little bit of a familiarity coming into this league at 19 years old, um, and hit the ground running from the playoffs. And then when those players came back from Nashville, you know now you got that much more talent around you. So uh, I I think if you're Nashville, I mean you got to be thrilled with his progression here. Like you know we knew he was obviously something. He, you know, aside from being a first-round pick, had had those two solid seasons over in Finland, but now he's really taking it. And this is, I think, where you see player stock really start to rise. It's like, all right, this is the best level of hockey you're getting outside of the NHL at this point in the Colorado Cup playoffs, especially this far in. Um, oh, totally. And and you're seeing what he's up against, and you're seeing, hey, he, he seems like he can handle it. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. I won't be surprised one bit to see him get some opportunity next season in Nashville. And sometimes maybe that starts off as, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give him a shot and see what happens. And totally. He, he handles it. And then you see these players all the time, like they don't come back. And so that, you know, that's certainly within the realm of possibility for a player like him. But um, yeah, he's, he's got an opportunity and he's just gone with it. I think, you know, again, like we talked about with doing a redraft from tw- 2022, normally you don't do one that soon. 
but both him and Yuri Kulik, uh, totally. I think would go a lot higher um, than they went uh, just based on their performance, uh, uh, both in the regular season and now into the playoffs. We look at the last two months for for Kim. Yeah. Like the runway he's gotten is unparalleled, right? Yeah. Like no, like compared to others in his year cohort, whoever went around when he was drafted, he's a proved that he can play in the AHL to begin with. Mm-hmm. B he's proven to be a capable and useful player in the playoffs. And then C we're at the point now in the last couple of games since Coachella where he's one of their better players, yeah. and that's a roster with Key for Sherwood, Mark Janikowski. Like the, the list goes on and on. So. It's very, very telling and, you know, kind of a feather in his cap going into next year. But I want to get to the, the Western Conference Finals as a whole, that series. So it's interesting. There's, there's, let's stay on Milwaukee because we're, we're already talking about Kimmel while we're at it. Here's an overview. So Coachella Valley's up 2-1 to one over Milwaukee, heading into Game 4. Just a reminder, it's best of seven series now, so um, it's not a, an elimination game coming up here. So Milwaukee, they've been making some adjustments, right? Mm-hmm. They're down 2 nothing to start. And in those first two games, Yaroslav Askarov recorded an 873 save percentage. So they yanked him for Devin Cooley, which isn't totally shocking. I think we all had an idea Cooley could be getting in the pipes at some point. The option was always there. Cooley comes in, wins game three, stops 28 of 29 shots faced, and Milwaukee avoids elimination. Now here's here's where we should go with this first. Numbers aside, what happened with Askarov in the first two games? Did Coachella Valley get, get in his kitchen, or, or what do you think... I think yeah. we both kind of, we foreshadowed this last episode. So we I'm not did. totally, like, I wasn't really shocked as I watched it unfold. We foreshadowed all this because we actually had the Cooley and Askarov uh, discussion uh, coming into the playoffs. Like, who would they yeah. go with? Um, yeah, when you look at that 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 uh, first goal that Askarov gave up in, uh, it was game two. It was just a, it was a bad goal. Like, he, he still, he plays young sometimes, right? Like, he's yeah. taking... Chances with, with the puck that maybe you don't want to – certainly can't get away with against a team like Coachella with a ton of uh, offensive ability. Um, and maybe the workload's getting to him. You know, like Milwaukee had uh, just been through two five-game series. That's, you know, they played three elimination games coming into this uh, matchup with Coachella Valley. And maybe that just – you know, it's a lot on the 20-year-old just – piling up and you know this is a heavy workload than he's he's accustomed to he's never played this late into a season uh maybe he just needed a break uh they're not telling a whole lot right now like you know they're they're definitely playing it close uh, to the best which is you know as you would expect but playoffs yeah yeah he he um that's been my take on just watching him that you know it looks like the moment's a little big for him at this point so here's a question pat like did How do you go? I, this is all hypothetical, but like you know, if Cooley, let's say, wins and they they from here on out, is it safe to say Cooley's the guy? Yeah. Like, is it because like is there a push and pull in the sense of like Milwaukee wanting to get Askarov in there, or are they seeing it as well? You know, if you risk that and and put him in there when he's not at his best, you're also risking every other prospect you have losing time. Is that kind of what yeah. the situation is? Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like. You can't sacrifice everybody else's development for one player at this point, right? Like this is about getting everyone that development time. And um, I guess the point I'm know, making is: Will we see Yaroslav Askarov again in these playoffs? That's very hypothetical. My point, more so, being is like: Do they go back to him? Like, w- wouldn't they be inclined not to? It's an interesting situation. Remember with Chicago yeah. Wolves, Line and Kochikov, right? Like you got that 
where not only was was Lyon playing great, but like the kind of the veteran stability, you can't deny it. Where like Devin Cooley is a very, I don't want to say established or proved, like he's more established sort of safe fundamental goalie in the mm. AHL than Askarov is, is the way I'll yeah. phrase it. So yeah. like I kind of, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's his net the rest of the way. Yeah, I think barring, you know, some like, you know, real subpar performance for him. Um, yeah. And even then, I'm not even sure then. if they would go back. I guess it also depends, like, you know, I mean, they don't have a lot of uh, margin for error at this point. They're, you know, That's what I mean. they're down 2-1, so you're you're one game away from playing an elimination game. So, you know, I, I don't see him probably coming back into this series unless... And then the question becomes, would he come back into the Calder Cup Finals if, because if they make it there, that means they would have come back from down yeah. to nothing. So, so it kind of seems like, yeah, you'd probably be riding Cooley at that point. And so now, let's say maybe you go into the finals and you fall back, fall behind two zero in that sure. series again. Then, yeah, maybe then you turn back to Askarov. And like at that point, then you're just kind of you're reaching for whatever help you can get. And if that's the shakeup you need, then that's what you go with. But uh, I think yeah, for now this is uh, until until otherwise this is uh, Devin Cooley's net, and uh, things can be tough to you know, get him out of it now. So like that's you know it's a little different from last year with the uh, line and, and Kochikov because that was more totally yeah, both different. Both of them were on their game too, like so they were just it was that 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 they were p- both pushing each other. This is more like you turn to Cooley in, in a time of need because Askarov just wasn't having the success that you need. Um, and so, you know, I mean, this, I mean, yesterday was essentially a must-win game, right? Like, you go down to 3 0 Coachelli, I mean, let's be honest, you're not coming back. Um, well, listen, it's, it, development doesn't happen overnight. No. So, like, are, no. what, are we going to throw Askarov in there because he's the prospect? And then, well, um, that's the thing you risk, too, right? Like, you can get too much development sometimes where if you put a player in where it's just not the right moment, you do yeah. run the risk of, shatter their confidence maybe yeah and so is that is that how you want to send him into the summer right exactly like if they were to get eliminated and let's say he 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 stayed in that and had two two bad games then you're like all right well you had a great season it's a shame that your 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 last impression was was bad so yeah i think he feels that as it is having the last the way the last two games went so yeah there's a lot of that's um that element which, you know, aside from the wins and losses and, and the performance on the ice, it's just that, that that player management element. That's where I think, you know, that was probably, you know, if I'm, if I'm putting an educated guess, that was the big sit-down meeting uh, with Carl Taylor, his staff, with the Nashville people, the goaltending coaches, you know, kind of just uh, really hashing that out and weighing the pros and cons of it. Uh, and I, I think the decision they made was, was very reasonable and, and certainly an appropriate one. I think the fatigue is a fair point. Two five-game series is a lot, and yeah. I also think that look at the big picture. It's not like he's doing horrible. I just think that the way that things were kind of slipping those first two games, I don't think game three would have gone so well. Um, just as a whole, though, Milwaukee, what other changes did you notice they made after the first two games to kind of win that game three and stay alive in this one? Well, they need to take it into like a grind, a lot like Hershey does, grind it, um, you know, play down low along the boards, like, and they need to do so even more, more so than Hershey does because uh, with, I mean, Rochester's potent, but Coachella Valley is a whole other level. Um, 
Yeah. And they have that, they, they have veterans that have been there before. Like, like Andrew Palmer also used to win back-to-back cups. Um, you know, so he's, uh, you know, he's just one element, right? Like, they, we said last show, like they got a whole first line that came down, you know, from Seattle. Uh, Ty Cartier, yes, uh, for Froden, and then you got uh, Podorowski coming back healthy. So, like, I mean, that just is a, obviously a massive shot in the arm for them. And, uh, like, they can roll for four highly, highly skilled lines at you time and time again. So, if you try to, if you even try to engage them in any sort of, uh, you know, back and forth, it's going to be a short series. So I think to, to Milwaukee's credit, they were able to, to really start, you know, they had done it in, in bits and pieces the first two games, but yesterday they, they really, they took it more of a, you know, that's sorry, right, This is going to be a slog. We're going to take away a lot of that speed, a lot of that transition that, that Coachella is so good at. I swear it goes beyond just a Podorowski analogy, but I definitely see shades of the Chicago Wolves in the Coachella Valley Firebirds in the sense that, they just, they seem to seize the moment. The, we've talked about it before. The elimination games, they've been able to, to fend off. Not that Chicago had that many early on, or if any. Um, but just the personnel they have. Like, we've mentioned them all, but I'm curious. Who are the guys that have impressed the most of that massive crop? We mentioned, we mentioned them all in passing. But if you if you were to peg, like, the the best one so far, who would you say is the best? Is it Cole Lynn? Is it Max McCormick? Who, who is it for you? I think overall, Max McCormick is just taking his game like from excellence to something beyond that, right? Like you know, he's just he's he's a captain, right? Like you know, I know people kind of roll their eyes about captaincies, but like it matters. It matters to players, um, so therefore it matters. And he has been a leader just on that team, like especially when they were. I mean, they were going through some early, early difficulties. We talked about this uh, several times now, like. Three games into the playoffs, they were facing elimination against Tucson. Then they did it twice more against uh, Colorado. Then they went through that whole battle with Calgary. So, like, he's been there really from the start, and he got them through some of those those tough times when they did have those lineup um, issues. Um, and him and Colin just worked together so well as a team. Like, you know, the one-two on that line. And um, they play kind of a, a little bit of a, a feisty, uh, gritty game. Um, that, that really complements each other well. And um, it's, they've been a tough line to stop for, for as much talent as Coachella has, like, you know, like up and down the ice, like those two give them that element of like that down low skill um, that they need as well. So uh, I think, yeah, I would go with McCormick. Moving away from the, the key contributors, let's go to prospects. I think Shane Wright's been a lot better recently. Yeah. I think since he came back, um, the goal he scored the other night, textbook net front positioning stick work and staying with it to to get a stick yeah. on it in a loose puck it's what you want to see we talk about this a lot and i think it's worth mentioning would have been great if if that guy got a full year of runway in the ahl you can't tell me that he wouldn't have been having a similar maybe not exactly but to the the level that a kimmel or a coolie could have and if he had the opportunity to do it so that's too bad i think i think next year people should resign to the idea of maybe Wright does need a year in the AHL because i think that might be what's best for him you know even if he i think he really could benefit from some prolonged time in the league but overall at this point he's definitely progressing in the right direction well one of the things we see time and time again is guys that get to play against pro competition just are that much more able to come into the AHL and 
and really find their footing early. Right, like Europe, course. you're saying, compared to... Yeah, yeah. Europe. Um, and so he's been playing junior for the last three months. He comes in and like he goes from that junior pace now to not only to the HL pace, but HL playoff pace. And it took him a while, right? And like, but I mean, I hear people already like, you know, Shane ride a bus, like, you know, I'm like, are you kidding me? He's 19 years old. Like, yeah. what, why are, why is this even a talking point? Like, He's also had like a half year development ish yeah. because he lost the COVID year and then whatever you want to consider this year, it's like 0.75. I don't even know. It was, yeah. it was a mess, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he played what, four different teams, you know, you know, between Seattle, Coachella, uh, Team Canada, and then, you know, going to Windsor. I mean, so that's four different leagues slash competitions. I mean, how do you get any rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, no, this totally. is one of the most chaotic years I can ever recall for a player of that stature um, at this age, really, totally. you know, in, in years. And so I think the fact that he's he's done as well as he has is, is a testament to him. And, you know, I think – and, you know, well, like, we'll, we'll – you and I will, you know, sound this uh, this message as much as possible. But, but you know, nobody's listening to us, I guess. But just you know, the need for players to play at this level, like you need to play at the most appropriate level that, that fits you. And yeah, each case is different. I think for right, yeah. it's a no brainer. You should be in the AHL. The, the NHL didn't fit him. OHL doesn't fit him. It's like you know, it's it's the old Goldilocks analogy: too hot, too cold, just right. Well, this would be been just right. He didn't get it, and. I think as a result, his, his development was hampered. Now, doesn't mean he's a bust, doesn't mean any of that. It just means now there's some ground to make up. It's just so silly to think that I understand the rule. I, I get the optics. Like I understand the position of it, like at the CHL or the NHL, whatever. But it's just so silly to think like you, you, you got, got a guy like Shane Wright. He had like five points in six games when he was in the HL for first conditioning stint. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And then he can't stay longer because of the rules. He has to go back up to the NHL, where he is. He's clearly not able to be a regular in what turned out to be a very good cracking team. Goes to World Juniors, fine. I get that. I mean, I can understand it. But then, after he can't go back to the HL, he has to go to the OHL, a level much lower than the AHL. Let's be like in terms of um, the caliber of hockey. And then you bring him back up to the AHL, and now he's in the, he's in the middle of the playoffs. It's just so yeah. silly to think that he could have any. Any momentum from it, so it, no. it's 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 kind of preposterous. No, just think about think about when you move players from lines one line to the next, and we talk about that. Oh, you know, like it takes some time to adjust. Well, he's moving leagues, moving teams, moving levels. I mean, he's living in like someone's basement in <laughs> Windsor, and then now he's like on the beach tanning in Coachella Valley, and then he's with the crowd. Like, yeah, he's the most well-traveled prospect I mean, in the world right now. And so, like, yeah, you're just not getting any consistency. You're, you're you shouldn't be a suitcase at 19. No, Silly. exactly. Yeah, it's I ridiculous. mean, I think when I think of him, I think of Seth Jarvis two years ago in the uh, shortened AHL season. Totally. The only player to this date and probably the only player I'll ever see who was leading the AHL in scoring <laughs> and was sent down to the WHL. Insanity. <laughs> because yeah, that was, that was know, ridiculous. that's when the WHL re re resumed play. He had to go back by the, you know, the, by the letter of the rule, and uh, that was that. And you know, it was it was kind of absurd, really. You know, you have a player that's ripping up the AHL and has to not only not, you know, stay in the AHL, he's go down a level and play in the WHL. I like. I just think that we can all sit down and get a compromise. We can't for 
a number of years because there's an agreement signed. Um, but it's like, I don't think that every player should have their right. I think that there's certain caliber of players that are clearly like, if they're getting NHL games and they're considered for that, the alternative should not be NHL or CHL. That is preposterous. Yeah. If they're good enough to be in the NHL, but just not good enough, you have to skip down all the levels of in between and then you're going back to junior. Like it's just, it, it's not sensible. No matter what we want to slice it, I get. I do, because I even said when we first brought this up, I mentioned from the CHL side of things, I get why there's a risk there or whatever. But, like, make a thing where – make a make a system where a team can pay an OHL team the money they would glean from tickets or whatever it is to get him there. Like, well, there's, there's ways to get around this. It's just isn't, silly. Isn't there a risk, you know, with a college player to the college program? Right? They have to sell tickets. Mm. You know, if, but if yeah, you, but but colleges get but colleges get donors and sure. they don't have, they're not gate rid sure, but, but not all of them. I mean, I mean, not yeah. all of them are huge. You yeah, know, it's a bit different though. You know, uh, you know, money flowing. I mean, like obviously, yeah, there's it's different different financial structure, but it's the same idea. It's still trying right. to you're still trying to get people in your building, whether or not you have money. Like you still want people in your building, and you know, if you you know, let's say you're the University of Michigan, well, like every year. Their, their whole roster gets picked apart and uh, they go out, they have to find new players and, you know, or, you know, what about AHL teams? Nobody asks, nobody worries about them. If uh, they have, uh, let's say like a couple of years ago, Hartford had Igor Shesterkin in the lineup. Well, the Rangers needed him. And so off he went to New York, never been seen back in the AHL since nobody worried like, Oh, you know what? This is going to be really tough on the, uh, 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 the Hartford Wolfpack, and it's going to be really tough on their on their box office. It was just like, well, that's what has to be done, and so that's where I'm like, all right, right. You're saying why. like if by that rule of thumb, which obviously we all agree with, the same logic should apply to like yeah, for being consistent, right? Like you know, AHL teams have tickets to sell; they have a business to run. Yeah, and all t- time and time we get what we hear is just like, well, this is just how it is. Okay, well, fine, fair, fair enough, but like. I- yeah, I, I would argue that? That, yeah, the marketability, though, for a junior team is a lot different than the HL, though, I think, like in terms of the star players and, and the – like I think it's just a bit different in, in a practical box office sense. But I think the reality of it is I think that the NHL is just a bit – they're kind of in a between a rock and a hard place with the CHL here. Well, I mean, is your business model, though, just marketing a star player if he happens to, to I mean, be on your team? I mean, like there's, point. there's a lot of – CHL teams that don't have any stars, right? Like, right? For the most part, there's a lot of CHL teams where you might get a handful of players that will even make any sort of NHL impact. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. Compared to the the AHL, where just, you know, good chunk of your roster is at least going to see some NHL time, if not your regular altogether. All right. Before we sign off, I want to ask you a quick question. Is it too premature here, but is it fair to say, like, Dan Balsma is on the brink of, of, getting his name thrown back in the carousel every time there's the coach musical chairs that we see. Like, like I know you've talked to him more than, than I, like, I mean, I've, I haven't talked to him since he was on the first episode with us. Um, but what do you, what do you get the sense? Like, does he want to move into management? Does he want to go to a college program? Is he set on the NHL? Where's his at to your understanding? Yeah. Like he, he's had a strange career, hasn't he? Like, Oh yeah, he had early success, like you know, you know, within a couple years of 
of being in the HL. Like he's he's going off and he's winning, winning the Stanley Cup and he's he's oh, yeah. coaching in the Olympics and then eventually finds this like he's kind of like come like this weird reverse circle. Like he then yeah. became an NHL assistant. Then he found himself in the HL as an assistant. Now he's back as an AHL head coach. So he's, he's kind of back to where he started with Wilkesbury Stratton. Um, I think he has, I mean, you have to be impressed with the work he's done with a Coachella Valley team that doesn't have a ton of prospects yet. Right. Like, no, for they've sure. Only, they've only had two drafts. And for the most part, most of those picks other than like really Riker Evans is, is their main pick. Um, don't have a ton of, uh, you know, draft uh, influence in that Coachella Valley lineup. Yeah, they have good vets for sure, but so, so do a lot of teams that are sitting at home right now. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think he has. I mean, I, I haven't quite understood why his stock fell so much. Like, I understand it didn't go well for him in Buffalo, but I mean, Buffalo at that stage was going through coaches left and right. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't hold that against any coach. I mean, I'm not sure anyone you would have brought in would have won with that, you know, that mid 2010s Buffalo Sabres team. I mean, I think him being angel head coach is pretty, if I had to, if I had to handicap it, I would say it would probably be an indication he wants to coach an angel again, because the impasse he had there where he was an angel assistant or before he took the Coachella job, perfect time where if you want to, he could have become a scout or I'm sure he could have moved into management at some level and he didn't. Right. So I think that's probably a decent sign. Um, but then again, too, just saying, coaches have a, have a very short shell life. So if Dave Hackstall isn't around in eighteen months, I don't know. He just had a tremendous year. But like, wait, did he get nominated for the Jack Adams? Was he? I can't remember. Hackstall, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so that means he'll be can soon. That's how the NHL works. Whenever you get nominated, you're can within eighteen months. So maybe Biles was the next Seattle Kraken coach. Um, will you see Bilesma if you're at Coachella Valley for the Calder if they make it? For sure. Yeah. All right. So you have to change your background because you won't be in the winter. No, I I will be fully. Not only I'll be in summer, I'll be something beyond summer. Um, The hockey news on the A in the pool will be where you report from. That'll be. I will. (laughs) I, yeah. uh, Well, we're now like the Palm Springs situation right now, like weather wise, like this is where all the snowbirds go home. Right. Um, Because it's beyond. it's beyond hot at this point. Like, you know, just the ice, so, the ice could be a problem a bit. Hey, I'll be interested to see that. Right. Like they, they haven't really been put through that test yet. Like, you know, I'm just looking at this weekend. So it's, um, it's going to be around, uh, 38 Fahrenheit around a hundred or so. Um, or I should say it's going to be around 38 Celsius around a hundred Fahrenheit. So, um, that should be a, a pretty good indicator of, of what's coming down the line if they get to the Calder Cup final. That's uh, it's going to be reminiscent of um, a couple uh, a couple years back at 2018 with Texas when they went to the final. And oh my gosh, I remember against Toronto that year. That was the Toronto series. And, yeah, uh, it was over. You know, it was around right around that temperature the whole time, except with more humidity. At least, uh, at least it's a dry heat out in Coachella. So uh, I guess that's you got that going for you. Next episode, will it will we be in the finals for sure, or it maybe not because it goes to seven? Uh, yeah, uh, if if it really depends. But uh, well, next episode will definitely be through the Hershey series. The yeah. Coachella series is still TV. TV. 
All right. Well, until then, we'll let you guys go. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.